This is an AMI podcast. There you go. All right. I'll just have a seat on the director's chair and the mic. Thanks. And action. Rachel breaking character. Take three. That was so good. I'll give you kind of suggestion lines. My name is Rachel. I'm a model, singer, and activist. Do you say activist or actress? Activist. Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. Okay. My name is Rachel. I'm a model, musician, and activist. Breaking character to me means... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm going to start again. One more time, right? Breaking character means just being free to do whatever I want in any given moment and not worry about what people will think about me disability-wise. Hold that right there. My disability is two things happening at once. I had a spinal tumor taken out, and I also have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which is a connective tissue disease. I use a cane to help keep my body safe and my joints safe and to give me the most out of my life and the most mobility and energy possible. Move your right arm this way towards this way. me a little bit. You always make it look great. My first ever modeling gig was modeling for a student at Ryerson. That was also where I met Stacy McKenzie, who is the runway coach on America's Next Top Model. And she took special time to help me figure out how to have a runway walk. And a year later, I signed with the same agency as her. My biggest accomplishment in modeling so far is being the first mobility aid user to walk in Toronto Fashion Week. Everything cool that I've gotten to do since then started there. I grew up in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Thunder Bay is a big, small town next to no other town, so it's kind of its own beast. Just about a year ago, during the pandemic, I returned to Thunder Bay because I wanted outdoor space, I wanted a garden. This is the first time I've come back where there wasn't like some serious physical trauma that I was living through. This is also the first time I've been back that I've been having fun with my parents, not just coming back for like the Christmas holidays or one weekend, but to have sort of a prolonged positive visit instead of like Rachel's sick and recovering visit. Dear fish, I'm very friendly. I won't eat you. I'll put you back. In Thunder Bay, we don't say cottage, we say camp. And I grew up coming to my camp all the time. My parents actually like signed the paperwork for this property when my mom was in labor with me. So it feels like the most significant part of my life as a child. And it's somewhere I come that I just feel disconnected from the rest of the world. Oh, I'm almost caught your daughter instead of the fish. When I'm at my camp with my family or with my friends. I have bonfires, eat sauna, go swimming, and I try to catch a fish every time. Doesn't always happen, but I still hold out hope every time. Is this a fish? Ugh, it was weeds. You always get me excited. It's been the first time that I haven't been super distracted or super busy or chasing the next opportunity, so I've had the time to sit and sort of think about what I actually want for my life for the first time since having my life changed so much following my surgeries. Guys, I have a freaking fish! I caught a fish! <laughs> it's so slimy. 
mainly it's been nice to have space again instead of be in a Toronto shoebox apartment, especially during COVID. My name is Alexa Vassos. I'm a daughter, a sister, a Capricorn, and I'm also a disabled actor. Hey. Hi. How are you? Good, how are you? Nice to meet Alexa. you. Hello, Alexa. It's Alan. With my meeting today with Alan Redford, I'm hoping to just gain some insight on the industry. He has a lot of years doing TV and film, so he kind of knows the ins and outs. I'm interested to know, also as someone who's a little person as well, his experience with that. This is an older headshot that I have. Okay. I'm Alan Redford, and I'm an agent through Little People Canter Performers. The trouble with trying to get into this industry as a little person is that there aren't a lot of roles specifically written for this. I definitely want to go for roles that don't necessarily specifically say person with disability or like little person. So that's the ideal. Yeah. But success in the industry is sometimes fickle. So um, I'm sure you've got a day job. I think you need to make sure that you don't put everything into the industry without preparing for your future. I think what we're going to do, we need to get you some photographs. Yes. You've got something like that in the works. Perhaps. Yes, yeah. Give me, give me a call, send me an email when they're ready, and we can go over what you have. Sounds good. I don't want to be a trope. I don't want to be a caricature of something. The roles I accept kind of are a precedent for people like me in the future who are like, oh, she didn't take these roles that are the generic roles. If enough people can do that, then that becomes the norm, not the exception. ATVing is the one kind of adrenaline junkie thing that I still feel comfortable doing. I drive like I'm a stunt driver when I definitely am not. I'm not an evil Knievel. I am in the Boreal North driving a kind of janky ATV with an external battery pack mounted on it. I drive in a way that gives my mom a heart attack. Are you a daredevil if you do a calculated risk? I wasn't ever jumping off of a building, but yeah, I would do a backflip. I stand when I ATV because then my legs and my glute muscles can do the entire job that my spine doesn't want to do. It looks really, really badass to stand. You look like you're a professional like stunt driver when you're standing, but I can't take the vibrations of the road sitting. If I do anything that isn't sulking, people constantly question whether my disability is valid or not. And I, I guarantee you, if they see me ATVing, they'd be like, well, what's wrong with you? <laughs> In having a disability, like anything you do, especially anything remotely physical, is questioned. So just do it because you're going to get questioned no matter what. My name is Ty Young. I'm 17 years old. I was born with a spinal cord injury initially. That's kind of what the doctors and my parents thought. But strangely enough, my mom was reading through like all of these files from when I was a baby. And it said that I was kicking my legs when I was born and I was moving around a lot. And they basically determined that it's not really a spinal cord injury, but they believe whatever I have to have been caused by a virus, which just comes down to a partial blockage in my spine. Hey, Mom, I think the stairlift's broken again. Uh, it's easier to climb down anyway. My relationship with my disability is definitely just how 
my relationship is with every other part of me. It's not something that is the focal point of my existence and my being, but it's a part of me still. Like, it's how I move, it's how I get around. As I get older, I start to see the challenges that kind of society and people put on those who have disabilities rather than the disability itself. Growing up, I had such a great support system, great family, great school, and I was always able to do everything and it wasn't really a big deal. It was just kind of navigating. It's not something that like makes me upset or anything, but as I do get older, sometimes I find myself getting a little bit self-conscious about things, but that's just because of how judgmental people are and how society kind of causes those problems. Is there something you have ever been told you couldn't do? I've been told that I can't do a lot of things. A few years ago, I was going to a new summer camp. Every single person in the camp has to pass a swim test to be able to swim. So when I was going in, the people there basically were like, you can't go in the water unless you're wearing a life jacket. And I was like, well, I can swim. I explained the situation. I said, I swim a lot. I'm a level six swimmer. I've done lessons. So why do I have to wear a life jacket? And they were just kind of making excuses. Truly, it was just because they didn't think I could swim and it was because of my wheelchair. Basically, we had all talked and they had kind of come to the agreement that if I was able to pass the swim test without a life jacket, I would be able to swim just with everybody else. And that's what I did. It's not fun to always feel like I have to prove myself and feel like I'm constantly trying to meet this high level of, oh, I can do this, I can do this, and I'll show you why. Like, sometimes I just want to do things. In a perfect world, I would have loved for the staff to have listened to me when I first said that I was able to swim and capable of doing it. And, you know, if they did have doubts, they could have figured that out when I got in the water to do the test in the first place. Swimming is hard and scary for me, in all honesty. I only started swimming again last summer. After my surgeries, I just didn't feel secure moving in the water when I didn't have upper body strength. And I still don't feel very secure swimming. I just have decided that I have to keep trying and I have to keep working at it to ever have that strength come back. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome being a whole body thing means that I have to deal with things at every sort of organ system level. I get a little bit dizzy because of circulatory system things and I really have to plan my movements to make sure that I don't pop a joint out of a socket. Through 2013 and 2014, I was undergoing active monitoring for a spinal tumor and it started to look bad, so we took it out right away. The recovery was not smooth. I was supposed to be in the hospital for three days. It turned out to be almost three weeks. I was seeing one of the best pain specialists allegedly in Canada, and he kept trying to prescribe medications that weren't really helping, that didn't work. It turned out the whole time I was walking around with four broken vertebrae. That if he just believed me and decided to do any form of investigation, he would have discovered. I almost think I wouldn't have cared about my ability changing if I had known why. 
for so long, I didn't know why it was happening. And I just felt disconnected from my physical being. For some people, a diagnosis can feel like a death sentence or feel like a nightmare or feel like everything is over. But for me, it just gave me the truth that this thing that I had known was happening was happening. I live in Caledon, Ontario. It's very farmland, very far from the city. I've lived here for most of my life. It's a very calm, peaceful environment. I love being close to nature and just not having neighbors is wonderful. You get some good moments of like introspection. There's just so much space to do that and it's really nice to live in a place that allows that. It's really difficult when you live with your parents to kind of feel as independent as you believe yourself to be. And I want to kind of have a space of my own that I'm in control of where I can gain more independence. I don't want to be downtown, like in the heart and center of the chaos that is Toronto because I actually find the city very, very overwhelming. But being in the city, I think, would just make the most sense right now because all of the work that I have is in the city, my agents are in the city, auditions and callbacks. That's, I think, the path that I'm attempting to follow at the moment to see if that works. Um, but I just haven't been able to book the gigs that have come in. The dream is alive, it is not dead. I don't have plans to kill it anytime soon. Good morning. Morning. You must be Alexa. Yes, hello. My name is Jeffrey Kerr. I'm a broker with Remax Unique in Toronto, and I specialize in helping people with disabilities. You're looking to make a move. Yeah. Okay. I've lived at home for like a very long time, my entire yeah. life, so I'm looking to kind of yeah. get out there. Renting to start with. Is that yes, yeah, okay. renting to start for sure. I thought, you know, as a first start, we'd have a look at this place. Okay. Now, it's a great example of an accessible unit. Amazing, yeah. Okay. I'd love to see it. All right. I want to be on my own, make my own decisions, not have to kind of answer to anyone. I don't want to move out, I need to move out. Welcome to 1105. Very nice. This place is absolutely gorgeous. To be able to live here would be a dream. It's amazing. So do you want to have a look at the kitchen? Yeah, I'd love to. And we've got uh, the wall oven. The oven at my house is very high, so I never cook anything. That's amazing, That's, this one's low. Mm -hmm. And then the microwave shelf right there behind yes. you. Again, nice and low. Mm -hmm. The fact yep. that it's accessible is truly like a concept that's mind-blowing to me. It's a, it's a whole new world. And then off to your left is a fully accessible bathroom. Oh, wow. I think the ensuite bathroom is fantastic. She can walk right in. She can adjust the shower head. The vanity is a great height. The mirror works for her. That's amazing. I've never had like a bath or shower unit that I just like walk into. So my bathroom at home, I have an ensuite in my room. That's a tub and it's like probably 18 inches high. It's so big. I have to like hoist myself over. So this is like a very nice reframe of that. Why don't we head to the living room and I would really want to show you the, the spectacular view. Oh, wow. This is amazing. You can see the entire city from here. The advantages to living downtown would just be how close I would be to everything. From auditions to callbacks to filming, almost always happens somewhere in the city. So, I mean, is this, is this the type of space that you can see that would, that would work for you? Yeah, like I love how accessible this apartment is. Yeah. Like I've kind of lived my whole life just having to make the adjustments myself. Obviously, like 
pricing wise, I don't know if I'll have to make sacrifices because I won't be able to afford that just yet. I mean, the average, the average one bedroom rent in Toronto right now is, is around $1,800 yeah. a month. Okay. And then they go up from there. And I think one thing maybe you, you have to consider is a roommate. Split the costs. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. landlords want to be able to know that you're, you've got the income to support the rent. I feel overwhelmed a little bit. Um, not having the financial stability to kind of go out and set forth my own path and live in my own is what's kind of been holding me back. That's like my greatest fear is not being able to do this for a living and make money from it, or at least enough to support myself. I don't want that to happen. I can't, like, I cannot physically let that happen. I've been lucky enough to have a really supportive group of friends and family who always push me to do things no matter what. My friend Jessica constantly is just like, okay, we'll figure it out. And that's how I learned how to go down curbs without people helping me, so, you know. We love to go anywhere just to explore, go on adventures. But when we go to actual places, the majority of buildings are not accessible, period. Ready? Yeah. We can't get in. I have to physically climb up the steps and have them lift my chair. And I'm not embarrassed to do that because it's like I want to go in, so this is how I'm going to do it. But it's kind of more of a statement that these buildings need to be accessible. What are you here for tonight? Do you have a, the Sherbert? Yes. You do? Raspberry lemon lime? Yeah. Could I, could I get that, actually? Sure. That sounds good. Often an excuse that, you know, I've heard people say is that, well, we don't really have people who come here with a disability. But it's like, you don't have people who come here with a disability because it's not accessible. Like, what? Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. See you soon. <laughs> By the way, Ty, we are getting a ramp for the, for the uh, step there for you. Perfect. <laughs> See you later. I really want to make it my job to help advocate and show that, you know, we will want to use these spaces. It's time to change things and make things accessible. This fire is so good right now. You're engaged! Sorry, just I'm screaming. I want to see it in the person now. Brooke coming to my camp is the first time I'd seen anybody in Thunder Bay that wasn't either the two grandmas that my mom and dad helped take care of. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was just like so in shock and then I was like, oh my God, I need to say yes. He's <laughs> just there. My mom's like living vicariously. She's like, okay, like my own daughter is like nowhere near that. <laughs> Look at her, she's like going crying about it. I think it's so special. I remember you used to weld. I know. She's okay, you can do a leather jacket. You can be a welder, have a leather jacket, and like and look like an 11 or 10 in a wedding like dress. Most of my Thunder Bay friends that I'm still really close with have also moved away. It's weird because I just feel like so much of who I was growing up here doesn't exist anymore. Brooke, do you remember being out here when my dad's friend, our like neighbors at camp, Randy, would come and they would just like play guitar like till the freaking crack of dawn? He knew all the thing around the camp. Right? Like, that was a vintage, vintage time, but he knew, like, every, every single dad rock song. And that was the first time I ever started playing guitar was because I borrowed Randy's. Music was always a part of our family. It was important to both my brother and I the moment we were born. You know the song, Build Me Up Buttercup? Yeah. 
Do you know it's like the saddest song in the world? You don't think that because like da 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 da. But I've been playing this like sad version of it. Why do you build me up? But a cup, baby, just to let me down and mess me around. And then worst of all, you never call, baby, when you say you will. But I'll love you still. I need you, I need you more than anyone, darling. Know that I have from the start. So build me up, but a cup don't break my heart. Campfire songs are a way to tell stories where they're not really about you, but they are about you. Out here and playing guitar and singing with my neighbors was the first time I didn't feel like I was a terrible singer and everyone wanted me to stop. Everyone sings bad around the campfire. I write songs about stuff that I don't really want to talk about. It's often things and feelings, even if it's not super obvious or direct, that I've never taken out of the therapy office. Writing music is scary. Especially like if you don't believe in yourself very much, because it's like implying that your stories are worth listening to for three minutes. My number one collaborator, James, artist name is La Flamme, has been the person I work with the most. Just this week, I sent him MP3s of the demos that I've been working on, as well as some of the project files, so he can get an idea of where I want these songs to go. And we're gonna have a session over a video call to kind of rough out some ideas, and so I'm really excited to hear what he thinks. Featuring Ben Becher Berger, Caden Lawrence, Catherine Joel McKinnon, Rachel Romu, Alexa Vassos, Tai Young, Executive Producers, Karen Hansen, Ian Thompson, Series Producer, Michelle Asgarelli, Directors, Ryan Marley, Ian Thompson, Megan McAteer, Chrisanne Hessing, Sophia Lane, Series Editor, Margaret McDougall, Composer, Walker Grimshaw, Post Sound Mixer, Taylor Brocklesby, Dialogue Editor, Christy McIntyre, Produced in association with Accessible Media, Integrated Described Video Consultants, Simone Cupid and M. Williams, Production and Development Executive, Andrew Morris. To find out more, including a full list of credits, check out breakingcharacter.tv. Produced in association with AMI.